Pod Save the World is brought to you by The Great Courses. Guys, for many of us, there were a lot of subjects we wish we paid attention to. You know what's a great course? A Caesar salad. (laughs) Dessert. Before your entree. But you know what? We screwed up. We didn't have the chance. We didn't take the class. Or we were lazy. That's why I recommend checking out The Great Courses Plus. It's a great way to explore new interests and pick up new hobbies. There are courses about history, politics, but also science, math, art, cooking, so much more. You get unlimited access to watch or listen over 9,000 lectures. Fascinating insight from the world's leading professors and experts. You can listen through the Great Courses Plus app and switch back to video whenever you want. I suggest watching the fundamentals of photography. Do you? Love it. Are you a big photographer guy? I am, and love it will teach you about the rule of thirds. <laughs> it's an important rule to him. I'm just saying, if we're all going to be taking a million more pictures, can we get some composition? If you use sepia one more time. <laughs> I just like... I know who's out there. Look, I have a question, I love but I'm a... not going to ask it because I'm worried about how long the lat ad will be. What do you, what's the what's question? the question? The rule of thirds. It's just about where you put something in the frame. It's not it's a rule. It's just an idea. It's just to say like, hey, sometimes things look better if you kind of where you put something in the frame. Maybe you put it kind of a not in the, right in the center. Do you know Denzel? Off to a third. Mm-hmm. Then Mr. Washington, Denzel I Washington. I do. The reason he's so handsome is his face is perfectly proportioned to thirds. Oh. I think that's an unrelated thing. It's absolutely related. <laughs> but I don't think it's that's rule the rule of thirds. <laughs> Anyway, the point is, The Great Courses Plus is fantastic, and I want you to enjoy it, too. And for a limited time, they're giving Pod Save the World listeners a free month of unlimited access to all their lectures, but you need to sign up through my special the URL. Point is, see, here, here, see, here's how the rule of thirds works with this picture of a cheetah. Sign None up, of these people can see this. Sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash crookedworld. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash crookedworld. Learn about the rule of thirds. And the golden ratio, I imagine. It'll come up. Another good one. What about the golden rule? So that you, that you learn in the course of life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> learn that on the good place. Welcome back to Pod Save the World. This is Tommy Vitor. I was thinking about calling a listener's worldos. I'm getting some nods from the crew in the back. I don't know that that's going to stick. I don't know that anyone wants to be called a worldo or PSD dubs. No, we're going to go with worldos. Anyway, the topic today is technology and privacy and national security. Thanks to Facebook, these issues have exploded into the consciousness, and we're talking about how much data these companies are collecting on us, how much they're tracking our movements, our texts, our phone calls. It is it is frightening stuff, so we talk through all the specifics, how you can protect yourself. And we also go back to a debate from 2016 about encryption and the way individuals can communicate privately without any risk of those messages being intercepted by governments or companies and the best ways to use those types of apps to protect yourself. And lastly, we talked about a frightening trend in the creation of fake news that they're calling deep fake news, which is where you can actually superimpose someone's face onto a video and make it look like they actually said something they never said. There are terrifying implications for politics and anybody who doesn't want to have words put in their mouth by someone with a computer. So this stuff sounds frightening, but there are solutions to this problem. There are ways you can protect yourself. There are things the government can do to mitigate the risk posed to all of us. And we talked through it all today on Pod Save the World. Nick Thompson's the editor-in-chief at Wired, and here's the interview with him. My guest today is Nick Thompson. Nick is the editor-in-chief at Wired. He has written extensively about politics, policy, the law, and technology. And now, thanks to our good friends at Facebook, those areas are colliding in a very public, very messy way. So, Nick, thank you so much for being here to help me sort this out as a uh, almost Luddite. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Tommy. I'm delighted to be here. Okay. So, the term national security, is it's like overly broad and overused. But I want people to understand that there are personal and national security implications 
to these issues. For all the talk of like Russian interference or government surveillance, we're all a lot more likely to get hacked by a non-state actor or to willingly hand over NSA-like volumes of information about ourselves to corporations. So my goal today, I think, is to help people get what's happening, how they can protect themselves, and then frighten them about the next scary (laughs) technology-induced debate. (laughs) So let's start with Facebook. You guys wrote an incredible cover piece on, on the last two years at Facebook that everyone should read. And since that piece, reports that Trump's political data and targeting firm, Cambridge Analytica, used Facebook to unethically collect data on more than 50 million people have woken up a lot of people, including Congress, to their data collection and privacy practices. And I think you know, folks outside of Silicon Valley were surprised not only by how much data they collect, but also by how much you can learn from that data. Yeah. Um, can you start by just talking a bit about what Facebook is or was collecting and what elements of that collection might surprise people? Yeah, so Facebook's business model is to collect as much information about you as possible and then to use that information to sell you targeted ads. And it's one of the most effective advertising mechanisms that's ever been built by mankind, right? And that's why Mark Zuckerberg has turned this into a massive, powerful business. And people don't understand that, right? There's a real disconnect between what we think of Facebook doing, which is connecting us to our friends in high school, being a source of information, Mm -hmm. being a place we talk to people about whatever we talk to them about, and what it's actually doing, which is collecting as much data about you as possible and then selling you ads. So it's been a real surprise as people have started to understand this, if they started to look at the privacy settings, if they started to look at what Facebook actually collects. So Facebook has just launched this feature where you can download your data. And, you know, so I did that this morning. And what does Facebook have on me? Well, they have a list of every IP address I've ever used to log into Facebook, which is actually a really good data set of where I've been at every, you know, every moment of my life where I've logged into Facebook. They have, they have, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's crazy. So they have a list of all my IP addresses. They have a list of, you know, of course, everything I've ever posted, all of my contacts, you know, continuous access to my address book, which I've authorized. And then they have incredibly complex lists of my interests, the advertisers I've interacted with, the kinds of advertisements they'd like me to see. And that's all stored, which isn't that surprising. But the next level of data, which I think does surprise people, is when they realize that Facebook isn't just collecting information about everything you do on the platform. They're also collecting information from around the web, right? Because people have Facebook pixels, Facebook logins on all kinds of sites. They buy information Mm -hmm. from data brokers. And then they also collect as much information as they can from other apps. So the example that really struck people is on Android phones, if you opted in during a certain period of time, it's no longer possible. They were tracking every phone number you called and how long those calls lasted, which you can understand why, right? They're trying to recommend friends to you. And if they can see who you're Mm -hmm. actually talking to, they can do it more efficiently. But it starts to weird people out when you realize, oh, they're not just collecting everything that you do on Facebook. It's actually outside of Facebook that they're getting stuff to. Yeah. That is weird. Well, uh, your reporter, your reporters <laughs> at Wired wrote a great piece about how to read your Facebook data yeah. and was deeply offended that she was lumped into categories like goth subculture, uh, middle <laughs> class, and fan of Harper's. <laughs> I thought that was a really funny yeah, piece. I, I don't know if she was too embarrassed that she was listed as goth. I think that was kind of a point of pride in the office. It was kind of hilarious <laughs> and awesome. Yeah, But it, it, it's interesting, right? I mean, like your piece about Facebook's two years in the barrel. Yeah. They know damn well how impressive and sophisticated 
an advertising company they've built, which I think is why people like me and, and others were sort of stunned and pissed off at when Mark Zuckerberg initially after the election said it was absurd to assume that somehow Facebook could influence votes. I mean, that's it. Has, it's one of the tensions that has continued to come up in the last two years where they say, well, no, we couldn't have swung the election or no, it was just a small factor. But simultaneously, when they sell their products to advertisers, oh, you know, we have this incredible power, we have this incredible influence. Um, And it's clearly both, right? It's clearly that they did have a lot of influence. They were hugely beneficial to Trump. Trump probably used the platform better. The underlying algorithm of Facebook, which rewards emotion and outrage, clearly benefited Trump much more than it benefited Hillary Clinton. So they're a hundred factors that go into the way they help Trump, but it's also not the only factor. And then later, of course, yes, it's not, they've been coping with, they've been dealing with the aftermath of Trump's victory for the last two years, which is really what my story was. And so they've been trying to walk the line between we're not totally responsible for this or only partly responsible for this, but also we're going to make a lot of changes because of what's happened. Right. So I think if you and I right now were at a bar and we were having an off the record drink with someone at Facebook, Their response would basically be, look, we dealt with the Cambridge Analytica problem four years ago by limiting the way data can be collected by these third-party apps, which is how Cambridge Analytica got the data. They were supposed to delete that data. They lied to Facebook and retained it, but Facebook, the company, had already made the fix. And I think on the broader privacy issue, the Facebook staffer would say to us, you guys all agreed to these terms and conditions, and you love the ease and functionality those conditions enable. We don't do anything differently than any other free site. You might hate us because our product is lame. We got wrapped up in a fight about 2016. But like Google has just as much, if not more, data about you. It's that you just don't feel self-loathing when you Google something. Is that right and fair, do you think? Yeah, I think that is the argument they would make. And it's not a fallacious argument, right? I mean, what's so interesting about this is that what Cambridge Analytica did wasn't really entirely Facebook's fault because Facebook, Cambridge Analytica basically stole the data or got the data in an inappropriate way, right? It's kind of like Facebook left the door unlocked and Cambridge Analytica came in and robbed them. So you can kind of blame Facebook a little bit for what happened, but really you should blame Cambridge Analytica more. So Facebook feels like they're getting hit too hard for this, right? That the punishment doesn't fit the crime. They realized that it was a mistake to have the sort of the open privacy policies in 2013, 2014 that they've now closed up. They realized they should have been more vigilant when they first learned about what Cambridge Analytica had done you know, for Ted Cruz. They realized those things, but they also feel like the backlash is too much. But on the other hand, you know, people didn't give a damn about privacy for 10 years when there were all kinds of privacy problems. And I think kind of the frustration with the way privacy works on the internet today has just exploded. It's like it's been bottled up for 10 years and now this just happened to be the moment that uncorked it. So I think that's what's happening. So in a way, Facebook is right. Punishment doesn't fit the crime. Right. You know, the reason I wanted to talk about this stuff on the my foreign policy show is because I feel like this is the follow-on conversation that we probably should have had immediately after the Snowden revelations, but just yeah. didn't. We, I don't, we just didn't get there. Because for all the talk and outrage about Snowden and surveillance... 
we know that these companies can use your online activity to figure out your sexuality, your political yeah. views. They know who you texted. They know when you texted them. They know your location data down to the foot. Like, yeah. forget about tapping phones. There's literally a fucking microphone in your pocket at all times. Right. <laughs> Is it too late to fix this? Like, have we given up the store already? Or are there things people can do to erase their online footprint or reduce the data we give up in the future without deleting Facebook and logging off forever? Yeah, so there are lots of things you can and should do, right? You can be vigilant about your privacy settings. You can go in, you can delete your information from Facebook. You can go and check and see all the websites that have gotten your email address, right? You can be vigilant and reduce the amount of information that's spread about you. And that's useful and that's smart and you should do that. The most important thing is going to be for these companies to change the way they operate. And you've seen big changes at Facebook in the last two weeks. I mean, you're creating a privacy dashboard, making it much easier to adjust your settings, and so making it much clearer in the future how you can deal with these issues of privacy. So the onus is on us, but the onus is also on all of these companies. And my hope is that the big ones and small ones and the ones that will be big have a different approach um, to privacy in the future. Like, it seems to me like there are probably a lot of staffers that are not in senior, senior management at Facebook, but rank and file that probably are pretty damn upset about not just 2016, but sort of the way the company is now viewed. But management, as they always are, has moved slowly. They've been recalcitrant. They've seemed to be unwilling to give up information quickly. Do you think that's going to change? Do you think like Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg will ultimately get before a committee and, and start answering tough questions? Or is that going to be something they resist until they are dragged there? Yeah, that's super interesting on a couple of levels. The first part you know, about the young engineers at Facebook, I really believe that the way the pressure point on Facebook, you know, there are a couple of pressure points on Facebook, right? There's media coverage, there's potential congressional regulation. But the real pressure point, the thing that Facebook really worries about is young engineers leaving and not wanting to be working at Facebook and not being proud of working at Facebook. Right. And so leaving to go to right. Snapchat, right? Because engineers are so hard to find, even when you have all the money in the world like Facebook. And so one of the themes that Fred Vogelstein and I looked at in our, our piece was you know, when Zuckerberg has an all hands, and this was true at the one he did this recently, and then, you know, most poignantly, probably at, right before Thanksgiving of the past year, he's been apologizing and saying to them, you know, I know it's hard now to go home to your families and say you work at Facebook. It used to be the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> and so they're really worried that working at Facebook yeah. will become kind of like what working at Goldman Sachs used to be, you know, nine years ago. And that's like, that is an existential deep fear for. Zuckerberg, for Sandberg, I mean, I assume it is, for all of them, because that's that's what really hurts. So, yes, right. that's interesting. That's important. On the testimony stuff, you know, I interviewed Zuckerberg last week. I asked him whether he was going to testify, and he gave kind of a careful answer about, I will if I'm the most informed person at the company. And the, the proper answer is just yes. Like, now is the moment. There's pressure to do it. Let's go do it. So, I think that to your question, he will definitely go testify. He certainly should go testify. Sandberg should go testify too. Her capacity to avoid the heat during this shows utter tactical brilliance. Um, like how yes, she has somehow been able to get through this without any mud on her shoes is amazing. Without too much mud on her shoes. So yeah, I'll be very interested to see what happens there. Yes, I agree. Yeah, she is brilliant in a lot of ways. Positive World is brought to you by Harry's. What do you love most about shaving with Harry's? Be specific, e.g. closeness of the shave. 
Yes. You know what? Shaving hurts my face. I don't have to do it very often because I am essentially uh, hairless. I go the hairless cat. But when I do, I'm also very sensitive. Uncomfortable. And it bothers me. And so when, when Harry sends me a new blade that's fresh, it makes the whole thing just go a little faster, you, a little Tommy, easier. You, Tommy, have no idea what you're talking about. You are a waspy guy. And for those of us... Uh, who are Ashkenazi, shaving is something that you don't do once in a while on a lark. <laughs> it's, you know... I've you... gone to twice a week, but only because I'm a podcaster. Yeah, me same, <laughs> same. It, does, it doesn't really matter if I have that. Class. But I need a sharp blade, all right? You know, I'm not, you know... And that's where Harry's delivered. That's where yeah. Harry's delivered. They were bring it fed back, bring up it back to with the overpaying for expensive razors who with were? necessary features. Jeff and Andy? They knew that Ashkenazis of all stripes deserved a great shave <laughs> with great blades made with sharp, <laughs> durable steel that lasts. I don't know if Tommy can say that, but that's, we're leaving it in. Yeah, we're leaving it in. That's why they bought a factory with some of the highest quality blades <laughs> in the world. They bought, bought a factory. <laughs> for over 95 years. By selling directly to you on the internet, they can offer their best blades at a price that's much lower than the leading brand. Just two bucks a blade. That, um, there is no common problem on this podcast that cannot be solved by purchasing a factory. <laughs> Do you think that it's been a hard time at home for Jeff and Andy Muller? <laughs> I guess they're probably having to buck up their brother on pretty regularly. If you want to watch, Look, you buy a factory. If yes. you want a blade, you buy a factory. And if you don't believe me, they can prove it. They stand We're behind the quality of their factory, blades. You know? They created a trial offer. You can claim yours by going to harrys.com slash crookedworld. That's harrys.com slash crookedworld. Go get it. If you don't love your shave, let Harry's know within 30 days and they'll give you a full refund. Get $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, a weighted ergonomic handle, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Again, that's harrys.com slash crookedworld for your free trial. What the hell do you have to lose? harrys.com slash crookedworld. Positive the World is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring? Yes. Did you just lose your communications director, who the media is fawning over on the way in, fawning over on the way out, because a beat sweetener is a lifelong... No one knows what a beat sweetener is. No. That's when a journalist writes a kiss-assy profile of someone who's about to be important to secure access for the weeks and months to come. The weird thing about the Trump administration is those guys are all getting beat sweeteners when they leave because they know Trump's still going to call them and bitch about everybody else who's still in the White House. How about a resume sweetener? Where do you Super. get that? That is why you need ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. Because look, most companies can't just turn on Fox News and pick people out. <laughs> you know, that's not how it works. Yeah, that would Actually, be so that's much not how it used to work anywhere, ever, for anything. Yeah, but that's why you need ZipRecruiter to learn what you're looking for. They identify people with the right experience, like hosting 6 a.m. on Sunday morning, and invites them to apply for your job. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. You want to hire a walk-in spray tan or you want to get a qualified candidate? It's up to you. It's does, up to you, listeners. ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. <laughs> they even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. That's why businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, my listeners can use ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash pod. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash pod, P-O-D. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So I want you to think back to a time before Donald Trump dominated every political debate and, and <laughs> argument. Uh, yeah. And talk for a minute about encryption. After the mass shooting in San Bernardino, the FBI tried to compel Apple to help it access the shooter's encrypted phone. James Comey 
Remember? Yes, James Comey. He was I remember the guy. that guy. I uh, I believe he, uh, he, he he circled back. <laughs> yeah, circled back. And, and like they wanted a way to access encrypted data when necessary via some sort of backdoor. Yeah. Apple didn't just say no. They took the case public and they said hell no. And this was to Obama. Can you explain the basics here? Like what is encryption? How does that protect our data? Right. So what Apple decided at that point was that they would make it virtually impossible for law enforcement to extract information off of that phone or off of any phone, right? Like Apple wouldn't be able to get it. There's something called, you know, end-to-end encryption where you can see a message that I send to Tommy or Tommy, you can see a message on your phone that I send to you and I can see it on my phone, but nobody in the middle can see it, right? And that's a really strong form of encryption because it means that in order to get that message, law enforcement has to get my phone or your phone. They can't talk to Apple, which owns the phones, they can't talk to Verizon or AT&T or Sprint, who transfers a message. They can't talk to any of the various different metalmen, um, you know, where the message passes. And that's been a big change in the tech industry. And that, you know, that becoming the default, you know, ties back to this big, this big encryption debate. But the general principle of encryption is that the data is hashed or stored in a way that makes it very hard, if not impossible, to access. And that drives law enforcement crazy, right? And for reasons you can imagine, like it'd be very helpful. And so what's so interesting about that San Bernardino case, it was like the FBI, maybe they didn't actually need what was on the shooter's phone, but they wanted to have a test case, right? They wanted to have a case where the public would be totally on board with them. And so they thought this was the one to go for. And Apple, very interestingly, I remember can put myself back into those debates. And I remember thinking it was crazy for Apple to fight this one, but they did. And they kind of won in the court of public opinion. And so Apple pressed back, you know, kind of won that debate. And then Apple since then has used extremely strong encryption and made it very hard for law enforcement. And so the advantage of that is that you know, people can't take your information off your iPhone. The disadvantage is that the FBI can't take the information off, you know, potential bad guys' iPhones. So that's the, that's the complex trade-off. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember being struck by that debate too, because it wasn't Apple going up against Donald Trump. It was Apple going against Barack Obama, uh, yeah. someone who was pretty popular at the time. Uh, you would imagine he would have a pretty strong case given what had just happened in San Bernardino. I mean, I personally was in many, many meetings in the Situation Room where we were talking about intelligence and wanted more access to some Al-Qaeda group or individual, but couldn't get it because they were using cryptic communications. Like, I've seen it firsthand. I do think the ticking time bomb 24-driven scenarios that people like to draw to make these arguments are a little bit ridiculous. But ultimately, it felt like Apple not only said no way to the government, but they gave a whole bunch of other companies cover to tell the government to pound sand when it comes to encryption, right? You had WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook mm-hmm. now, Telegram, Signal. They all said they would have what you just mentioned, end-to-end encryption, which means nobody, not the government, not the company itself, can read your messages even if they're intercepted by the NSA. Do you feel like that trajectory is just set and that's how communications platforms are going to operate going forward? Or there's some rumblings that the FBI is revisiting this and DOJ might revisit this case. Yeah. So, well, first of all, remember that even as some of the world goes towards end-to-end encryption, it's also the case that if you own an Android phone, Facebook has taken all your information and just stuck it in a file. So data does leak out. My, you know, the other thing that I remember that goes back to your point was that Obama gave a talk at South by Southwest after this encryption fight. And he said there should be a solution, right? He said there should be a way that the government can have access to 
access, you know, if they have a legal warrant, if they have an actual right, Apple should be able to do this. And the tech community booed and he got attacked for that. And I don't know. I, I feel like this is a, a problem that should have a solution because what you want to do is you want to be able to give people security over their information and not have it be stolen by hackers or misused by the government. But you also, in certain situations, want the government to be able to you know, exercise just law enforcement's rights. So I feel like what you said was exactly right in that Apple's strong stand, Apple's success, the way that Silicon Valley stood up behind Apple, the way all developers stood up behind Apple, you know, kind of structured this debate in a way that made it impossible to figure out a solution, right? There's this absolute position that if you come up with any backdoor, if you come up with any way that you work with the government, you will put all our data at risk. And maybe that absolute position is correct, but maybe it's not. But I feel like we didn't have that conversation enough afterwards. And it does seem like we are starting to maybe have it again. Do you think we didn't have that conversation because the 99.999% of people are not equipped to even understand the context to have a smart conversation about this? Or I guess maybe just all of our political fights are dumb. Do you have an opinion? I kind of think it's because the 1% of the people who really understand this issue and are the experts on it are 99% aligned in favor of strong encryption. Right. So that right, right, right. So it's, the, it's like the politics of the Uber experts are, you know, monochromatic on this. And I think that might be why it would happen. Also, it's I guess another interesting factor is Apple has real political power. They have really good yeah, they really spokesmen. Do. They're beloved. They can mobilize the media. I remember, you know, I remember Apple like the way they I worked at the New Yorker dot com back then. You know, I ran the New Yorker's website and the way that Apple was engaging with us to try to, Apple doesn't always call you back, but on this one, Apple was calling you in advance, right? They really cared about public perception on this story. That is fascinating. Well, I have to say I was on the side of the companies then, and part of it was because I do think you need to imagine the worst case scenario, which is Donald Trump as president and his political hacks in yeah. the national security apparatus of government, and then imagine yourself in those shoes. But so if you're listening right now, and you think, oh my God, this is scary. I want to only use the most secure communications platforms out there. Do you have recommendations? Like, are there messaging apps like Signal that some people say are the best? Are there email services? Are there types of phone calls people should use? Yeah, I use Signal. When I'm reporting and I need to have total confidence that the person I'm talking to, their information won't be exposed, I use Signal and then I just delete the message afterward. It's the it's the one I trust the most. When I was working on my um, Facebook story and I wanted to you know, make sure that Facebook didn't know who I was talking to in the company. I I did it all through Signal and I deleted Facebook, WhatsApp, Messenger, Instagram from my phone just to make sure that they couldn't track me. One thing that a, a Facebook source had told me is that it's possible using location services to know, you know, if I have location services turned on to any Facebook-owned app, they'll know where my phone is at a certain point and then if the employee has location services turned on, you could conceivably... You could conceivably match that. Now, Facebook says that's baloney. They would never do that. But better be you know, safe than sorry in that case. So uh, that's how I dealt with it. Yeah. We, we, hey, we'd never do this. That's unethical. No one would ever do that. Uh, oh, yeah. Uber did it at a party uh, three days ago. So <laughs> yeah. you know, right. they, they I mean, turned it's, on God mode and showed everywhere we are. Yeah, Uber did that. Yeah, it's funny, right? Because I have different positions depending on the case, right? I love strong encryption, end-to-end encryption when it involves me talking to my sources. I have a little more laxity when it involves 
you know, government investigations of terrorists and that maybe maybe those things are squared or maybe there's a little hypocrisy there. And um, they're a series of very, very complicated trade-offs in all of this. My position ultimately on this was I think we should not force these companies to do a creative backdoor, but that the NSA should get to work, do its job. They, they created Enigma, you know, with, with our allies, like next version, let's go. That's mm-hmm. what you guys do. But maybe that's sanguine. Well, but here's the issue about the NSA, right? I mean, the NSA created all of these incredible tools, but didn't keep them secure. And now they've leaked out into the wild and are being used against us. So that, in fact, kind of makes the argument of the anti-NSA, which is also the sort of the hugely pro-encryption crowd, which is that if you create tools that you think only the people you trust will use, actually, that's not true because those tools will eventually seep out and be used by random hackers in the Ukraine shutting down banks and um, hospitals in London to try to get ransom. Right. Yeah. I do not trust the NSA to keep some sort of backdoor safe. I just fundamentally don't because we're all human and we're fallible. And that's why I landed there. Potsy of the World is brought to you by Audible. Guys, audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you. Love audiobooks. <laughs> Whether you want to feel healthier, you want to get motivated, or you want to learn something new. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks. They help you listen to more books by letting you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off, whether it's on your phone, in the car, from your tablet, or at home on your Amazon Echo. I have to say that is very cool. That is cool. Because Smart. I'll go from my phone to a tablet to my computer and You're always just reading because I'm constantly constantly like, reading books. I, I'm, I, I'm, it's an ongoing conversation, whether it's an audio book or Your our podcast. Your knowledge is insatiable. It yeah. is insatiable, Tommy. Thank you. That's why. But but you know who satiates it? <laughs> Audible. Audible. Well, the, the cool thing about Audible Weird. is every month you get a credit for another audio book in their store. Or is so, it when you say sates it? I don't know. So like, regardless of the price of the book, you get this credit, and the unused credits roll over. So you don't like your audio book. You return it, no questions asked. Plus, all your books are yours to keep. You can go back, you can re-listen, even if you cancel your membership. It's a really great service. Dan Audible? Pfeiffer just recorded his audiobook yesterday, he said. Oh, no way. Yeah, that was fast. There you go. Audible is offering my listeners hey. a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash crookedworld and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's just that easy. Go to audible.com slash crookedworld or text crookedworld to 500-500 get started today audible content includes an unmatched selection of books original shows news comedy all the good stuff audible.com slash crooked world or text crooked world to 500-500 to get started today slightly shifting gear to something a little more frightening i think you guys did uh, some <laughs> wired's website is fantastic uh, but a lot of articles will send you down uh some dark places, including one about advances in technology that allow you to realistically superimpose someone's face onto or a body in a video. Yeah. So like all things on the internet, it started with porn. Some creeps figured out a way to put celebrity faces on existing pornography that is weird and disturbing, but it creates an entirely new and frightening genre of fake news. Yeah. How does this work and how big a deal do you think it is in what sort of time frame do we need to start worrying about the proliferation of this stuff? Yeah, so it's a small deal right now, right? You there you can create porn which, you know, realistically uses the face of somebody else. You can create a replica of Donald Trump that kind of pretty much sounds like Donald Trump, but people aren't really doing it yet. But I don't think we're that far away from 
somebody being able to recreate me saying whatever they want me to be saying in a way that sounds exactly like me and then using it in a way that's manipulative or even worse, using it in virtual reality where we really don't have the filters, right? When we go into virtual reality, we forget that we're in a simulated world. When we're on a computer, we at least have some notion that we're in a potentially simulated world. When we're in virtual reality, we don't. So the possibility of, you know, political manipulation of the sort that we saw in 2016 times 100 is is real. And you can imagine a political campaign in, I don't know, let's say 2024, 2028, where their virtual reality actors made by people who want to manipulate us, whether they're teenagers in Macedonia or whether they're intelligence operatives in Russia or whether they're highly skilled political campaigners for either side, you can see a real problem. And you think about the fake news problem we had where we couldn't distinguish between New York Times stories and stories, you know, by kids in Macedonia about the Pope and Donald Trump. Think about what it's going to be like when it's a thousand times worse. So, you know, one of the things I think about with Facebook is like they're finally getting a handle on fake news, right? They're finally figuring out the signals that indicate that a story is fake as opposed to true. Finally getting the algorithms to work through that. And now we're going to move on to new problems. That, in fact, is more scary than what we just talked about. I wasn't sure how we were going to get more scary than um, terrorism and encryption and government hacking in and government, you know, losing all its tools to Ukrainian hackers. But you did it. It's not my fault. You guys do great reporting. <laughs> but you guys wrote a piece how you thought how blockchain might be the solution to this problem. So... So yeah. uh, I've been asked a question that most people are asking, what the fuck is blockchain? And, and yeah. how could that help here? Well, so blockchain is basically a way of verifying transactions. And it's a way of, you know, a ledger of transactions that only moves forward, right? So you can't go back and erase and modify. You just, you are able to add new transactions onto it. And every transaction that happens on that ledger is more or less stored on the computers of everybody who's participating in that network. So what that does is it allows the possibility of real verification, right? So you can it makes it harder or at least quite different to manipulate things. And so you can imagine a new creation using blockchain that makes sure to verify and to confirm that sources of information are trusted. Whether that can really work, I don't know. We're not particularly close to that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But it gets to the point that Technology at every stage creates the ability to manipulate us further, and it also creates the ability for us to prevent that manipulation, track that manipulation, and monitor that manipulation. So, you know, it's, you know, a knife. You can use it to stab somebody. You can use it to cut butter, and it's just becoming an ever more powerful knife as we go forward. So that is like, that's what makes it ever more important for us to think about, debate, study, watch, look, and try to push this industry so... It builds good things. It builds in trust. It builds in verification. It builds in accuracy as opposed to getting it, letting it get hijacked right. by all the bad actors who hijacked it, right? I mean, that, again, you know, not to circle back too much to 2016, but that is the story of 2016, right? This platform of Facebook, which can be a tool for amazing good and still is, right? Me Too movement is, you know, large part, part it's, a, it's a hashtag, right? It's partly based on Facebook, right? There's all kinds of good that happens with Facebook, all kinds of wonderful connections. Mm-hmm. But this tool was manipulated and used in to, you know, push you know, false information in a way that changed the way our democracy works, right. which helped contribute to Donald Trump being elected. So every new tool that's getting created, we have to think, and we have to think about the ways it can be misused, and we have to think about the ways it can be used well. That's so true, right? I mean, a theme in everything we've talked about today is 
in my opinion, kind of a, a naive Silicon Valley belief that technology can fix everything, that it will yeah. always be a force for good, that everyone is changing the world. And obviously some of this is like corporate Kool-Aid drinking to inspire a young workforce, but there is a strain of it that's a bit dangerous. I mean, how do these guys miss the reality that humans have been doing evil stuff to each other for thousands of years and are more likely to use some of the tools uh, they created for ill than they are for a, a utopian world where everyone communicates and there's universal basic income and yada, yada, yada? Yeah, that is the fundamental mistake that Silicon Valley made over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, right? So think about the Cambridge Analytica thing. So why did Facebook let app developers whole information about users and their friends. Like, that's crazy. Like, obviously someone is going to misuse that. Obviously someone's going to take all that data and sell it. Obviously someone's going to take all that data, sell it, and use it against us. Well, the reason they did that is because they thought, oh, well, if we allow them to do that, they'll build better apps. They'll be able to do better research. Like, it'll be helpful. You know, if people have access to your social graph, they can figure out, I don't know, all kinds of academic or medical research or valuable things. They just didn't think through you know, the negative stuff that would be done by, a, you know, a James Bond villain like Alexander Nix. So it was a big mistake. And that was, you know, one of the main realizations of Mark Zuckerberg is how the technology he created, which he thought would bring the world together, could actually drive the world apart. And I think that what you're going to see is that after this reckoning for Silicon Valley and for the tech companies in the future, everybody who builds a product is going to start thinking about the sort of the worst case scenarios. If you build a drone, right, you're not going to be thinking about, oh, well, let's see, let's see how it can, it'll just be used to like monitor crops and deliver burritos. You got to think about how it's going to be weaponized. Yeah, literally. And I think that the people who build these incredible technologies, like I think their worldviews are going to change. My final question for you is, I feel like it's, it's easy in any given moment to feel like things are more out of control, more risky, more dangerous than before. But, you know, 2018 is not the first year we've, created new technology. You know, the atomic bomb is a notable example yeah. of, you know, a major innovation that had horrific downsides. Do you think things are in any way worse now or more dangerous now? Like is, is Moore's law catching up to us in a way that is putting people at real risk with advances in technology? Or is that just like the moment feeling frightening? I think the moment feels frightening. I mean, I think the thing that is most important for us will be thinking through the hard choices that come up as artificial intelligence starts to really rearrange the world. I mean, we're entering a moment where, you know, we are going to fairly soon create machines that are unambiguously more intelligent than humans in all kinds of ways, right? So we will change the whole nature of the way society works, right? We're going to be inventing machines that are going to improve exponentially. And so we won't be quite aware when the moment happens, when they reach this level of intelligence, but they will only continue to become more intelligent, right? Whereas our intelligence will stay static, right? Because we are born and then we die, whereas the machines just get more and more intelligent. So it's a super exciting moment because it will bring all kinds of incredible advances in all kinds of ways and new things for us to do and like wonderful ways of communicating and all that. But it's also a dangerous, risky, complicated time for the societal disruption that'll happen for the possibilities of bias seeping in for the possible effects on warfare, right? They're all kinds of really hard choices and they're going to happen really fast. And so what's worrisome to me is we're at this moment where this wonderful, magical, you know, beautiful technology is coming very fast and we have to make all these hard decisions. We have to think through all these complicated things and 
A, we've got Donald Trump in the White House. Like, we have no one staffed up on the Office of Technology <laughs> Policy, right? So there's no government help nope. thinking through this stuff. And, you know, Silicon Valley is has been slow, though now they are starting to, you know, reckon with the big questions coming in artificial intelligence. So this, we're entering a really interesting moment for, I don't know, it sounds so overdramatic or melodramatic for our species, but it's true. And so we have to... We have to think through. And there are choices that we will make now and there are choices we'll make in the next few years that will have profound effects for, you know, long periods of time, but we don't totally know what those choices are. So that's where we are. So it's frightening, but it's also super exciting and it's definitely interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. And I I think sort of what I wanted folks to come away with today is knowing that these issues are, you don't have to have a PhD. I mean, they are a little more accessible than you would expect if you just read Wired or like the Wait But Why. It's a great website, Wait But Why. Their series on artificial intelligence is a great explainer with like literal stick figure drawings that can help you understand some of the issues you were just talking about. But like the more you engage on this stuff, the more you can actually lobby Congress or vote accordingly or refuse to elect people like Donald Trump who uh, print out their emails in 2018. And we can, you know, maybe advance the ball a little bit here. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I don't, I, you know, and going back to the encryption debate, right, part of where I feel like that debate fell down was the sense that there's a small number of experts and they they think about it a certain way. And that's definitely the way to think about it. And that's where the debate ended. And that's kind of not what you want to have happen. You want to have lots of people weighing in in lots of different ways. And there are a hundred different complexities to what's coming in artificial intelligence. And yeah, we want to be discussing it, thinking it through, and everybody should be thinking it through. Yeah, that's right. Nick Thompson is the editor-in-chief at Wired. He's written a hell of a lot of good stuff. You should check out their site. They're doing cutting-edge, smart, innovative stuff every day. So check it out. And thank you so much for doing the show. I learned a lot, and I imagine everybody listening did too. Thank you. It was really, really fun to be on and to talk about all this stuff. Thank you, Tommy. Okay, Worldos, that's it for Pod Save the World this week. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. I can't really say that with a straight face, but we're we're working on it. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening. If you like this episode... Please share it on Facebook. I know I get the irony, but I would greatly appreciate it. We're trying to spread the word about Pod Save the World and everything you can do to protect yourself. Thanks, guys. See you next week.